following is a conversation I have with Heather Younger. She's an amazing person. I found a lot of similarities between me and her, especially with anxiety. So if you want to learn more about that, if you want to learn more about her troubled childhood and how she rose to the top, then listen now. Now, if you want to connect with her, then I'll suggest to skip like at the end of the podcast because that's when she reviews her connect info. And if you want to see the show notes, check them out in the description below. Alright, thank you for listening to the Parent Genius Podcast, and now I'm going to go out. See you. Alright, Heather, I want to say one huge welcome to the Parent Genius Podcast. We are super excited to have you here. And now, it just it begs the question, what is your story? Mm, that's a hard one. Because <laughs> I, think, I think there's a, a lot of ways to go about that, you know, about telling your story. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing is I have kind of just gone through in my life, uh, started off really with a lot of adversity. And um, uh, my mom, I come from interracial interfaith marriage. My mom is white and Jewish. My dad is black and Christian. And um, my mom's parents really weren't happy about the union at all. In fact, my dad used to bring my mom, uh, my mom, my dad used to have a white gentleman come to my, my mother's door to pick her up for dates. And, um, and then he would bring her to my father. And they had to do with that a lot a while before they actually got married. And it was, it just was not a popular idea back then. And they just didn't take to it at all. So then I was born and I was kind of a reminder of that. And I was kept out of the big family gatherings a lot. And I wasn't able to just be a part of the family. I was really the black sheep, literally and figuratively a black sheep of the family. And it, it, it created in me this constant question, um, you know, are you ever going to be good enough? Uh, are you good enough? Um, and so then everything I did was like this effort to be good enough. And so I ended up being the first person to graduate from college, the first person to graduate from law school. Um, and just everything added up to that until I got to a point, I had this interaction with my grandmother at one point, and I'd come back from Israel on a trip, kind of almost like a pilgrimage in a way, but it was, it was a whole summer. I was studying law there and I had a conversation with her. And anyway, it, it ended up, she said something to me that just hit me and it made me realize I was probably... 28 or something at that point uh, no 24 or 5 something like that and she said you know you'd be a better Heather if your parents never married and I thought and I said what I wouldn't even be who I am today if they weren't ever married and it hit me right at that point that no matter what I did in her eyes I wasn't gonna be good enough but I had to learn to be good enough for me and I had to learn to be great enough for me and to realize that I was put on this earth to do great things and so um, it's, been a, it's been a struggle, I'm not gonna lie, here and there, up and down. It culminated in a TED talk I did last year on transforming adversity into opportunity. and made me think about a lot how, I, um, how I'm able to kind of continue to have a bullseye in front of me that helps me focus forward and not be uh, weighed down by all the stuff, the craziness, the, anything that's happening right now. And just really tried to focus on continuing to try to do great work, to try to impact people, impact lives. And, um, and so that's where I'm at today. So when you decided to make that TED Talk, um, and when you were like crafting your speech and everything, it did also come to your mind like, oh, so how am I going to be able to talk to, to about this? Because I haven't like, you know, I haven't truly healed from it. I... I still got work to do. Did you have these thoughts or questions <laughs> coming in your head? Yeah, I did. Actually, funny enough, I had the, so at the time I was preparing for a, uh, my first international talk in Brazil and I had hired a speaker coach to help me really craft my new keynote. 
And at, then I found out I got the TED talk. And so she did was helping me with that speech to make sure that it was, um, you know, that it was just proper and that it, that it was going to tell a good story. So she was giving me, she was coaching me along in one direction. And then the TEDx people had, had assigned these volunteer coaches and, and they were great people, but they were coaching me in a different direction. And their direction was, you know what? I know you were angry and what I know you were sad and so if you need to get angry or you need to be sad or whatever it is on stage then go ahead and do that and I was like oh my gosh anybody who knows me I'm almost always smiling and part of it is um, the mental side of things I've learned to just do a lot of stuff in the head and all that head work is what allows me to, to show up as I am every day and so it was hard for me to think about showing up with tons of anger lots of bitterness or any kind or, you know, sitting there crying on stage. It just wasn't who I was. So I decided to, I, you know, talked to my other coach, the one who I was paying to help me. And she said, you know what, Heather, I don't know you to be that person. I know you to be uh, like a, an optimist, but someone who's realistic. And so I don't see you doing that. In fact, I see you doing it this way. And it's like, it's interesting because that's exactly, that's exactly who I am. I don't, don't know any other way to be. And so uh, when I gave it there, you know, the, when I was first starting to do it, it was hard and I was getting kind of, you know, frazzled and upset and everything. But then over time, you know, as I craft the story and I was able to stay stronger, but I do think that people who watch that will sense the pain that's still underneath it. They will. So what, what are the kind of like practices you do every day to really just, um, because, you know, we probably can get rid of that for good, but what are the ways you practice, you know, positive emotions in order to quiet the bad side, the, the you know, the self-hatred side, all these things? What are the daily practices that you use to actually quiet it? Well, um, I wish I could say I get up every morning and I meditate and just stay in total quiet. One thing I do for myself is I get up every morning and I work out. That's like six days a week. I do that. I take Sundays off. And I even try to go to walk that day. So for me, like staying active helps me in my mental state. Um, and then the other thing that helps me is what I call focus forward. And so it's just, I have missions uh, in front of me that are very big. The mission, you know, like having a mission, having a goal, having something that's just um, hairy and big and scary and, and also completely aligned with the vision that's way bigger than I probably can ever reach. And I keep that in front of me and it helps me to just stay focus on that so much that it's easy to keep the bad thoughts away and it's easier to ignore the stuff around me. I also don't watch the news very often. Uh, I do listen to our public radio that talks about, you know, national radio, uh, but not like so much so that again, it starts to weigh me down. So I really make choices, real intentional choices about what comes into my mind. Uh, and also, you know, now more than ever, what comes into my body. So those are kind of the two things I'm really focusing on. And that helps me a lot. What kind of exercise are you like? Do you uh, lift weights, cardio, anything? Yeah, it's a combination of both. So I do, I do, if, I think you, if you would think about it, it'd be like a boot camp style of workout where it's just pretty intense for like 45 minutes. Uh, and that's, I don't know, it makes me feel stronger. Even if like, I'm not even just talking about my muscles. I'm just saying it makes me feel mentally stronger that I'm doing that for me. And I have four children. So um having a, you know, a bigger family and uh, that responsibility, all of that is a lot with the business and all the other things I have going on. So making sure I have that time for me and uh, you know, give myself personal strength is important. So I've really come to lean on that time and I just do it in my house. I have a basement and I just go in my basement and do it, get it done, come up and, you know, shower and start my day. 
so let's go back about the vision part. So you want to keep your vision really big because you know you fear that when you reach it out, the negative emotions or the quieting will actually come back. Is that why you keep it that keep your visions big and actually you know, I I, I don't want to say ridiculous, but yeah, ridiculous like really big. <laughs> yeah. I, I do that. I keep my, I believe that it's important to, we're always going to have come back to those times where, you know, you come back to your memories, your past, or you come back, whatever it is, all of us are going to have that. If anybody tells you they walk around and nonstop, they're just completely happy all the time. and never, never had negative thoughts, then they're not human. So I, I don't want to paint that picture, but in order for me not to sit and wallow and be stuck in that place, I have to, I have to focus forward. I have to find something that is, that excites me so much that makes that, you know, makes it um, be like the core of who I am. It feels like it's in my gut. And I, when I'm focusing on something that's like that, that pulls to me, that calls to me, uh, it's easier for me just to focus on that. And then I don't have to, then I'm not again, wallowing in the stuff in the news, the, the 5,000 people that died, the, the racial stuff that's happening, the, I mean, whatever else there is, right. There's just uh, that list goes on and on and it's unending. So if I can just move myself away from that, I, I can get it out of my mind and I can focus on the things that I have in front of me. And so uh, having said that, if you are someone who struggles with, you know, mental illness, for example, like I struggle in and out intermittently, uh, you know, over the last like, 10 years, intermittently, there's been anxiety. I don't like take drugs for it or anything like that. But I know that for me, like working out, taking walks, taking those times to breathe, are important. And so I don't want to discount those who might have mental health issues that actually may have to, you know, take medication, may have to do more intense therapy, all those kinds of things. I just have found a way to cope with any of the stuff that I may be working, you know, having, and I do it mostly through just natural means and through mental kind of positive psychology. So let's talk a little about the, the anxiety because, you know, I also, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't someone who like uh, had a terrible slash childhood. I mean, I'm, I'm still a kid. I, I'm not gonna say that I'm a grown up ass guy, but yes, you know, I also struggle with anxiety and particularly like it was at first uh, being hypochondriac, like health anxiety. That was that was a pretty mm -hmm. big thing, you know. And when I beat that, when I really beat that, then social anxiety came back I think came back because I had it for a long time but I managed to quiet with working out and you know getting stronger and stuff like that so you know where does your anxiety go like where is the focus there is like health social aspects or anything else or just generalized anxiety what does that look like uh mine is mostly driven around like the you know things that makes me feel like I have so many things to do it gets up to my neck and I can't it's like I can't breathe in a way like there's just I get overwhelmed by it um and so what I've learned to do personally is to step back to do something that's non-work oriented again like go for a walk or sit and take some breaths or go outside in the sunshine sunshine is a huge help for me uh so when I sit outside I'm able to kind of just sit it you know take it in and um and then I think yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing for me is I, I just go to that place. What is the reprieve that I need to, but it ends up being a work or like, Oh my gosh. So the kids things are this and then this is this, and I have to get my book done and I have this client thing and I have, right. And it just goes, and it keeps going up high. And so I have to just bring myself back, back down. And then I just say, let me take it one step at a time. I just have to say, okay, Heather, one foot in front of the other one 
foot in front of the other. And that's kind of the thing that it puts me back on pace. It puts me back on focus and then I'm able to move forward. So let's talk about book writing for a little because you mentioned uh, writing that book. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, again, it was like, it was leadership with heart, right? That, that was the name of the book, right? It's actually, so I have, this is my second book and it's called yeah. The Art of Caring Leadership. The Art of Caring Leadership, How Leading with Heart Uplifts Teams and Organizations. It's based upon my podcast. Interesting. Um, so the first one, let's, let's go into the first one. So what's the story behind it? How did you decide to write it? What was the process looking like, you know, and the fear yeah. takes you did? I don't have fear. I don't have fear of writing. It's not the fear of writing. It's just having, like, it's just the time. Um, I, I do feel like the thing that helped happen in my childhood really blessed me to realize that communication, the ability to communicate and to feel confident speaking up for yourself and others was something that came out from that. So my, my desire to advocate for others is the thing that kind of drives me for everything. And so my background, my story of not feeling necessarily taken care of is the thing that drives me to be the person I am today to try to take care of others. So in the employee, in the workplace space, when I'm, when I'm trying to advocate, or even when I'm working with leaders, the focus is on helping employees have a better experience, not feel like they're disrespected, to feel like they're heard and that they're important and that the work that they do is valued and appreciated. So I work with leaders in order to help employees. So that's, that's my spin. And that has been my spin from the beginning. So when I wrote the book, The Seven Intuitive Laws of Employee Loyalty, it was about telling leaders what are the main things they need to do to keep their people engaged and retain them. Um, the second book was really a spinoff of the first concept, mostly. And so the first concept inside the first book was giving them great supportive managers. And the second book is called The Art of Caring Leadership, How Leading with Heart Uplifts Teams and Organizations. So I focused really, I kind of broke down, I went wide, then I broke down um, the to the first law, I kind of changed it, obviously. And then I now I've expanded it out to what are the behaviors that really represent caring leadership. Um, and it was because caring, people say that, oh, my manager cares. Oh, this person cares for me. What does that mean? And so I was able to dive deeper into that in my podcast uh, in a real focused way and then utilize all of that, that research uh, in this book. So let's go back to the first one. Why exactly seven laws? What, what is it about the word seven? Because, you know, seven highly successful habits of, you know, successful people, for example, by uh, Stephen Covey, you know, and I've heard other people also use the seven laws analogy. So why exactly seven? Um, you know what? I'm going to be honest. It started off at like 10. <laughs> uh, it started off at like 10. And what happened is I started to see that the, some of the things were overlapping. And I'm like, wait a second, I need to merge this with this. I need to merge this with this. And so odd numbers when you're writing, whether you're writing a blog, whether you're writing you know, a book, odd numbers, I don't know why, but they stand out to people more than numbers. So I was like, oh, you could do 10, but the seven was something more precise. And so I, I just saw how I landed on that. Um, and then I think you said, oh, you asked me another sub question to that, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> You'll have to rewind that again. Uh, no, I, no, I really just asked about why, why did we did you pick the, you know, the number seven, but I got to clear it out. Uh, oh, well, and the other thing is the word laws is because I went to law school. So I'm an, I'm an attorney. I just don't practice anymore. So I wanted to merge both the legal side of, you know, all of the background I had to with the, the stuff that I do in the employee side. So that's why I put laws in there. 
And how long did it took you, you know, with the podcast to gather the enough research to write your second book? What, what, how I probably, I could have probably start, started earlier. I've been you know, on my podcast now for uh, like two and a half years. Uh, but I didn't even think about doing the book until about episode, episode 20 when I realized the brilliance of all the people I've been interviewing and all the just amazing stories they told. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to share this with people who don't listen to podcasts. So uh, that's why I did that. But I think, I mean, to be honest, I, I've done like 150 uh, interviews or something. And I, I don't have, I have probably like 70 of the interviews in the book. And probably I could have done 25 or 20 for the book. So I think that there's, you don't have to go as deep as I did. I did go very deep. And so it does give a sense of um, legitimacy to the work inside the book. Did you have any word goals per day like many writers do? No. Nah. No, I wish I could say that. I'm not nearly that good. <laughs> so, but how did, you know, you still had to have like some sort of schedule to, to write the books, right? You know, uh, deadlines, stuff like that in order to avoid procrastination, right? So uh, Yeah. Yeah, the first book, I, I think I just, I put some deadlines. I moved it a little bit, but not much. The second book, I'm going through a publisher. They give you the deadlines, so that's what I worked to. So the deadlines did help me as far as okay, I know what I need to get done. It was I have to tell you that COVID, you know coronavirus, that quarantine, that that first month or whatever is really where I got the first draft done. Uh, I mean, I already had like a full outline. I already had kind of all of the text from the different interviews kind of inside the outline, but I hadn't written. And then the coronavirus hit, and all of my business pretty much stopped. So I just took all that time to finish that first draft. And then business picked way back up and I was able to just here and there and here and there go through. And I was really fortunate because the publisher sent out um, the book, the first draft to three independent reviewers and they came back with lots of good feedback. And so I, I really, I probably implemented about 90% of their feedback in the second draft to make sure that it was really good and complete. Uh, so I'm really happy with this end product and I do think it's going to be impactful for, for many people who uh, really, they seek to be more empathetic. They seek to be more emotionally intelligent. They want to meet their employees where they're at. They just maybe don't know where to start. Uh, they don't know how to try. Hmm, makes sense. You know, it's funny. Some some people binge watch Netflix. Some people write books in quarantine, right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I just, this is what I was trying to tell you is that you know, that first few weeks, I was eating way too many cookies, drinking way too much wine. And I was like, okay, this is, I, I got to get out of this. Like, I can't be doing this because I'll weigh like 100 pounds overweight by the time I get out of, out of COVID, you know? And so I just said to myself, okay, there's something I have to focus on. This, this is where that mission comes in. So now I, I have to focus on this book. And so then that let me get squarely more on the, the bullseye and help me focus on, on finishing that. And by the time I finished that, now things had kind of taken a turn uh, and now I'm, I'm busier too in the business and all of these things. Right. So yeah, it was interesting. And how, how much time did you spend each day to, you know, write the book? And after you like, you know, you reach out the, uh, you reach out, sorry. Uh, you like, you know, you write enough, for example, or you just receive the feedback. What do you do in your free time? So, so there's two questions here, right? So <laughs> How, how long did you write every day? And second, what did you, what did you do in your free time? Well, I mean, I, like I said, I have four kids. So, I mean, I guess it depends on how you see free time. I don't, I don't have a lot of time for myself. That time in the morning where I work out is my time. I do try to take a little time. It might be 20 minutes outside in the sun later on, like in the evening, kind of about four, four or five, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock. Um, other than that, uh, 
I work, I have a business, I have a business, I have a podcast, you know, I'm a coach, I'm about to start teaching. So I do a lot of stuff. Um, and it's all focused on my mission. It's all focused on the work I do around, you know, helping employees have a better experience. Um, so then I, I, did, I didn't necessarily, I would have a goal, for example, I'd say, um, I, my goal is to get, go through and edit and redo chapters one, two, and three. And if I do that, I'll feel accomplished today. Then I'll go pick up my kids from school and I'm like, I feel accomplished. And now like I've done the thing. Then the next day I'm like, I want to get through chapter four and five or whatever. Right. And it just depended on, cause there was, a, there was, I didn't have to totally redo my book, but I had, a, I had some reworking to do. I had some work to do after those reviewers looked at it. And so I had to take the time to go really be thoughtful about what they were saying in there. And I had to also, you know, not take it personally, not take it personally to say, okay, they're trying to help this be better. And that's their end goal. And so because of that, I'm going to listen to them. And um, I did in, in a big way. So how long in your opinion did it took to, uh, you know, develop that mission slash vision in yourself to actually, you know, pursue, for example, the podcast and, you know, entrepreneurship as a whole, you know, when, when did that shift happen? Really? When did that mission start coming really, really fast? Uh, you know, I think it, it was already, you know, it was already there. Like because of my background, I already had this desire to like make sure no one else felt like I did, like left out, not belonging, not heard, not important. So I kind of already had that as a North star, you know, growing up and just like probably after teenage years, so let's just put me at about, you know, starting at like 18 to 20, I started kind of having that, that framework already. And then uh, it picked up more. I remember in law school, people would talk about like people of different races that weren't like, you know, African-American or weren't like, but just like, oh, that, oh, that Asian, that, that they would say it in a derogatory way, but they did it because they knew it really irritated me uh, because they knew I was a person who advocated for the underdog. I was that person who was always the voice of others who just didn't have a voice. And it was because of the way I was when I was a child. And so um, I found myself being that person, like caring for others' needs, like not like wanting people to be disrespected already kind of then. And, and then that, that exchange I had with my grandmother where she, you know, where she had said that you'd be better if your parents never married, you'd be better Heather, you'd be a better Heather. And I'm like, I, at that point realized it was something just hit in me where I was like, this isn't gonna change. This is not gonna change in her view, but why am I actually here? Like, what was I put on this earth to do? And I realized that it was being that voice. And then I, I had gone, gone through a layout, a layoff um, some years back. So this is obviously some many years after that exchange I had with my grandmother. And um, so up until that point, I'd been doing a lot of advocacy um, for customers. So my, my role was always like I was director of customer experience or I was leading a whole team responsible for customer interactions and customer relationships for organizations I worked with. And I moved over into the employee space and, uh, when I did that, though, the, the crux of that was I was going through a layoff and I realized that or through a merger of a, inside of a company. And I realized inside that merger that no one was paying attention to what was happening with the employees and the culture and even their emotional state. And I was paying attention because I had that heightened sense of empathy because of my childhood. And so people would come to me and whether they were on my team or not, they would come to me and ask me well, what was going on with the merger. What, they felt like layoffs were happening. They were fearful. And so I went to the head of HR and I said, listen, we've got to do something about our trust, our lack of trust that's going on, our engagement. And, and she said, you know what, you're right. You should go do something about that. And I went, what? Like I'm leading customer experience. Why should I go do something about that? And she said, um, 
well, really, if it makes sense, you're the one who's already kind of the, the culture ambassador, the person who uplifts people already inside our culture. So maybe you should go do it. And it made sense to me. And I, I took it on. So I created an engagement council, brought people together from all the companies that were going through this merger of, of companies. And we started to, I started to see a change. We all started to see a change pretty quickly once people started to meet each other, understand who each other was, just know who each other was. And we started to do things that brought people together. And I realized right in that moment, right before the layoff, that this was the work I was destined to do. I was there to bring people together, to bring people together around a table. I was there to help people feel like their voices were important, to, to you know, connect people to each other. Um, and then also to be that voice to leaders, like the voice of reason, the voice of insight to leaders to say, listen, you have the power. You have the positive power to change the lives for those who look to you for guidance. Uh, and you have that, you have the ability to do that. And so I'm now, I'm that, that's the role that I play. It's the role that, I, that my organization plays is we, we are kind of the liaison, the catalyst um, in so many ways to bring both the frontline and those who lead them together. So Heather, right now, I'm going to leave a little opening here for you to share your contact in because I think that was just mind blowing what you just shared. So people can actually connect with you. Uh, because you're a personal value, you're awesome. And people just got to connect with the guests. And then we're going to move on to the last awesome questions. All right, so please share your info out right now. Website, social media, emails, whatever. Just please share it. Okay, well, if you go to LinkedIn, you're going to just look up Heather Younger, and I'm sure I'll be one of the first to show up. And if you, you'll, you'll know it because you'll see Leadership at Heart, Employee Fanatics, and you'll see those different things on my profile. Um, you can go to heatheryounger.com, which is a website. And right now on that website, when you go there and you subscribe, there is a mini course on how to uh, uncover and expand your influence. And then you also would have a downloadable action planning guide that comes with that, that you can use side by side with the mini course. And it's free. So you just sign up and then it'll, it'll be on my email list. So you'll keep in contact with me and you'll get my emails every week. Uh, just talking to you about the stuff we're doing, what we're up to. So I would say those are the two main ways. I would say LinkedIn and then heatheryounger.com would be the best way. All right, sounds great. And now my last question is, is there a book or even a quote that changed your life or that completely shifted your perspective? Mm. You know, there's, I, I, let's see, I don't know. There hasn't been a book that's completely shifted my perspective, but there is a, um, let me just pull this up here. There's a poem by Marianne Williamson that it's one of those things that I have to keep, um, I have to keep looking at and, and also just reminding myself of, and hold on, let me just get this, because it's the main one that she's, um, yeah, it's this one. It's called, um, here we go, what is it called? Beyond, uh, so I think it's called Powerful Beyond Measure. That's what it's called. Um, and here's, here's part of it. It's our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. That one is powerful to me because often what we do is we kind of um, quiet ourselves or humble ourselves so much so that we, no one knows we're there. And um, sometimes many of us 
our voices are meant to be loud and powerful. And so reading this helps me realize sometimes if I try to do that and quiet myself too much, that, you know what, maybe your voice is the one that needs to be heard. I think that's a pretty powerful and unique poem. I just got it out here as well. I'm going to link it up in the show, show notes. All right, by Marianne Williamson. So, uh, Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a great time with you. I hope you had a great time as well. Uh, I hope also my listeners had a great time and took some notes because I think we shared a lot of stuff here. So, thank you for your time. Have a, an amazing end of the week, an amazing weekend, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.